I went to a marvelous party. Christopher, this is only going to work if we speak one at a time. Fine, you first, Eric. From the Sunset Strip in beautiful West Hollywood, California, it's The Dinner Party Show, the Internet's first live comedy variety show, with your hosts, New York Times best-selling authors, Christopher Rice. Now, there's actually a new study that confirms every other child you see on the street is a ghost. <laughs> and Eric Shaw Quinn. I don't want to talk too much, but... Okay, we're no, going no, no. to take up a collection for the stained glass window. Now we want the dirt. Featuring reports from their largely unqualified staff of special correspondents. Sex is like Christmas. It's the not knowing what you're going to get that makes it exciting. New York is a giant trash island infested by has-been theater queens. If we're really serious about cutting federal spending, the biggest waste of public funds I can think of is Congress. Two snaps for Jesus! The Dinner Party Show. Everyone gets served. Tonight's live cast is streaming to you live and for free through the dinnerpartyshow.com and our free mobile app. And now, direct from the kitchen by way of the Get out of my office. It's your hosts, Christopher and Eric. When the news breaks, there's only one man to fix it. TDPS News takes you live to Breck Artery, who is standing by at the abandoned site of the Mitt Romney Victory Celebration, the offices of the Discrimination Equity Foundation. From the debris-strewn red carpet outside the Beverly Hilton Hotel. Steps of the Capitol Building in Washington, D.C. From the United Nations in New York City. From the National Mall. The rotunda of the U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C. From the offices of the New York Times. From the scene of the wildfire in Beaver Creek, Idaho. From Columbia, South Carolina. From in front of the White House. From the Supreme Court in our nation's capital. From the vestibule of a cathedral located near the Hollywood Freeway in Greater Los Angeles, California. Via telephone, it's Brack Artery calling from his den in Studio City. Front of an ironically chosen bank building that has been turned into a nail salon. Front of where many believe there used to be a stable in Bethlehem. Times Square. At the West Hollywood Children's Library. From the General Dynamics tank plant in Lima, Ohio. From the smallest country in the world. From in front of the offices of the IRS in Washington, D.C. At the edge of the Grand Canyon. From the world headquarters of students for more active and responsive teachers. From the set of newsmakers with Breck Artery. From the fanciest mobile station in the world, located here at the heart of beautiful West Hollywood. Breck? Welcome to the Dinner Party Show Special Edition tribute to our TDPS News Director, Breck Artery, Breaking News Repair. I'm your host, Christopher Rice. Eric Shaw Quinn is on special assignment in search of the world's most perfect spa day. Yeah, I know, but I'm not telling him now. Meanwhile, join me as we take a look back at the fairly unbalanced anchor of TDPS News. When we first met Breck, he was coming to us live from, well, 
I'll let him tell you. This is Breck Artery coming to you live from the ballroom at the Midtown Marriott in Boston, Massachusetts, where the Mitt Romney victory celebration would have taken place had there been one. Partially deflated balloons remain in sagging bags hanging from the ceiling here, and Romney campaign organizers remain baffled. The fact that their candidate's message of intolerance, his promised rollback of women's and pretty much everyone else's rights, the prospect of cannibalized Medicare and Social Security, the gutting of all federal programs designed to help anyone other than anyone who doesn't actually need help from the federal government, a return to the catastrophic economic policies of the Bush administration, and a more sensitive approach to the parental rights of rapists didn't sweep the governor into office has stunned those connected to the campaign. Said one supporter, We paid good money for this presidency. What is this country coming to when $22 billion worth of vicious and untrue advertising cannot buy you the minds and souls of Americans? Clearly, there is still work to be done on the systematic dismantling of public education in this country if people are still thinking for themselves." Unquote. The Romney strategy of simply saying whatever people he happened to be speaking to at the moment wanted to hear didn't pay off as it has since the technique was pioneered by legendary liar Ronald Reagan during his eight years of economy-destroying victory. There are even unsubstantiated rumors in the political community that some candidates are considering the truth, or at least reality-based fact, as a possible component of future campaigning. But the ugly specters of integrity and conviction are of little consolation to the defeated Romney camp, who consistently refuse to provide any verifiable details of any policy they might conceivably have implemented once in office while they blurred any sense of reality with their assurances of rosy results from their non-existent policies. Clearly, they told us what they thought we wanted to hear, but without the skill of a trained actor like former President Reagan, we just didn't buy it. What's needed here seems to be either an actual viable plan for governing the wealthiest and most powerful country in the history of the world, or someone who's a better storyteller so that the electorate is willing to believe the myths and fairy tales that candidates have been running on for years. We as Americans want to believe that we can live the lavish and fantastic lives that we saw in the movies or on television somewhere without that pesky encumbrance of consequence and responsibility and most of all, without having to pay for anything ever. So then, the failure of the Romney campaign isn't so much a political failure as it is simply a failure to convince us there is no monster under the bed and that by making old rich white guys even richer, that all our lives will be better and the future brighter for everyone. On the plus side, Paul Ryan now has four years to bury everything he's ever believed in the hope that he can shape himself into the perfect beard for his billionaire masters disguised as the tax-free savior of the very policies and programs he's been working to dismantle since he arrived in Washington shortly after graduating from high school. He can go to a good acting class. He can practice and refine his storytelling and his myths. He can work on those rock-hard abs and just wear a Speedo to debates and campaign events. Or, perhaps, he can just grow a pair and run on what he really believes and plans to do. He might not win, but it's a cinch that he'll feel better about himself than Governor Romney or Senator McCain. This is Breck Artery saying good night and good dinner. 
classic Breck. From the first, it was clear that Breck Artery was the sort of newsman who would not only scrupulously report the facts of a story, but that he wasn't shy about telling you what he thought of the story or how it was being reported. Breck's dogged pursuit of the truth about U.S. economic policy and its consequences are a perfect example of just how Breck will run down a news story like Mad Max on a Sunday drive. This is Breck Artery coming to you live from the Grand Canyon where I'm standing next to a real cliff as the media and other charlatans, scalawags, and just plain liars in Washington and elsewhere prattle on about some mythical fiscal cliff looming ahead. This just in, America, Washington and the media has discovered that our economy is near a cliff. What is surprising is that this collection of ululating buffoons have yet to realize that we're already at the bottom of the cliff, scrambling to get back up. If not to the top, at least to that branch where we can get a handhold and begin screaming for help. As Congress searches for the ringing clue phone, we here at TDPS News would like to point out that as a result of the catastrophically bad, selfish, and puerile financial policies of the Bush era, we not only spent a trillion dollars on an unwarranted and unfunded war in Iraq. Any sign of those WMDs yet, guys? We also trolled for votes, campaign contributions, and grubbed for outright graft by giving away nearly $3 trillion in revenue on unfunded tax cuts as we dialed up government spending into the stratosphere and then, through our unwarranted obsession with deregulation and good old-fashioned negligence, crashed the economy altogether to the tune of over $19 trillion in lost real American wealth. Then, just for fun, once we were over the cliff, these reckless drivers took us full speed into the sheer cliff wall by abdicating their responsibilities once again and refusing to pay our debts by raising the debt ceiling, thus costing us untold hundreds of billions in additional interest rates when our credit score was downgraded. If that doesn't sound like the bottom of a cliff to media insiders and political blowholes, then I suggest you join me here at the Grand Canyon for some perspective, or perhaps just a good push from some of your constituents who are dealing daily with the real consequences of your irresponsible lack of governance, childish fabrications about how the economy works, and the cliff you drove us over at full speed more than 10 years ago. Yet, as we draw near the end of these inexcusable policies that have cost this country so much and hurt so many, the hue and cry is not the shouts of joy one might expect as this tragedy of misjudgment and failed policy draws to a close. Instead, there remains a banshee wail of lament for the loss of this idiocy and a return to the revenue-positive policy that can actually begin to raise us up out of this pit we hurled ourselves into so long ago. Perhaps it is worth noting that unlike most who go over the cliff, our plunge was no accident. For years, voters have insisted on being told fairy tales about fiscal reality. How else would a shameless huckster and true anarchist, an enemy of the state like Grover Norquist, have any success at all if we didn't want to believe that we don't have to pay for the government and the country we claim to love, while at the same time expressing a desire to drown it in the bathtub, patriot or traitor? Why decide when we can pretend that we are both? Just as we pretend that we don't want to pay for the government that's holding us back by providing us with everything we need to become the wealthiest, most secure, and comfortable people in the history of the world. So, as we look around at this bleak landscape here at the bottom of the fiscal cliff, 
where we have all already been living since the failed policies of trickle-down economics failed once again, perhaps the question we should be asking ourselves is, who are the idiots here? The lying, dissembling, four-flushing chiselers who got us to the bottom of this cliff in the first place, or the people who keep voting for them? This is Breck Artery saying good night and good dinner. No punches pulled there. Breck's reporting style hasn't won him any Pulitzers or even any friends. But he is fearless in facing not only the crushing loneliness, but those folks who offer a new perspective on old stories, particularly if they agree with Breck. Good evening, this is Breck Artery. We're live from the Simi Valley California Forest Lawn Cemetery, where later tonight, or this week, or at an unspecified time in the near future, it isn't exactly clear, this small but determined group of anti-anti-tax revolutionaries plan to dig up and burn the bones of that idiot, Howard Jarvis, whose ill-informed, selfish, and short-sighted tax revolution crusade in the 70s has bankrupted the state and the country. The group, who call themselves... Revenue-lutionaries want to raise awareness and get a bit of belated revenge on the man who they say decimated American culture and education and forced all of us to live at the mercy of a bunch of superstitious and ill-informed cretins who wouldn't know a responsible economic policy from a biscuit recipe. We believe it's the right of every American to pay his fair share or get out. Don't you feel this kind of stunt is counterproductive to advancing the dialogue in this country? We absolutely do, Breck. That's why we've sponsored a lecture series featuring top pro-revenue economists, held rallies calling for a moratorium on the gratuitous use of anti-tax sentiment in political campaigning, and published extensively on how revenue-positive government models actually raise income levels across all tax brackets, increase business profitability, and lower interest rates. That sounds like a much more positive and proactive approach. When does this begin? Well, Breck, we already did all that stuff, and you folks in the media didn't pay any attention. In fact, unless a hundred morons from Bugspit, Florida are burning someone's holy books or a deranged bigot housewife character from a Saturday Night Live skit gets herself elected to public office and backwash Alaska and starts shooting off her mouth, repeating the kinds of lies that would be legally actionable in other areas of society, lazy, unskilled reporters like yourself won't even point a camera at it, let alone mention that there are two sides. Hold on now, those are pretty serious charges. And yet, here you are, in a cemetery, on a Sunday night where we're threatening to burn the bones of a dead guy. (laughs) It's a pretty sexy story. Who could resist? Well, not you, apparently. Excellent point. In fact, there are enough reporters here to cover the outbreak of World War III. Exactly. That's why we're using the opportunity tonight to announce our new Twitter dictation program. Tell us about it. Well, Breck, people who follow us on Twitter at Dictation will get pictures of the genitals of elected officials with each new fact about how we could easily get out of debt if we'd all just pay our fucking taxes. That does sound interesting. We thought you and the media would feel that way, Breck. That's why we promise, beginning tonight, there will be a junk shot with every new press release and major revenue-lutionary announcement 
and expose breasts at every major event. Oh my God, this stuff is golden. We're even changing our name to the Revanunatics. Okay, so we're live from the first annual Revanunatics Howard Jarvis Bone Burning and Bone Posting. Oh, we call it the boning. Now back to the dinner party. I smell Pulitzer. Oh, I, I think that's probably just the cheap coffin upholstery. His family didn't waste any money on him. This is Breck Artery wishing you good night and good dinner. Breck has a knack for finding the kinds of fresh viewpoints that can cast accepted punditry in a whole new light. He also has a real talent for explaining complicated news events in terms we can all understand. This is Breck Artery coming to you live from the Children's Reading Room at the West Hollywood Public Library. This seems an appropriate spot to discuss the outcome of the mythical fiscal cliff faced down by the mythical leaders in this country last week. Here in the Children's Theater, one day in the not-too-distant future, children will be regaled with heavily illustrated stories and puppet shows about how the brave elected civil servants in this country faced down the big bad financial crisis they themselves had created. According to their fable, if the magic words weren't uttered by the intractable obstructionist party by the stroke of midnight, the whole country would turn into a pumpkin, or at least outtakes from a Mad Max movie. Of course, that turns out to be as fictional as the bravery of those same spineless obstructionists who also last week couldn't muster the guts to vote to send disaster relief to those wiped out by Hurricane Sandy. But that's not fun, so let's get back to our tale. The story goes something like this. Once upon a time, in 2011, when the obstructionists refused to pay the bills on the debt they themselves had run up by refusing to raise the money they needed to pay the bills or to stop spending like a bunch of drunken fools, they got out their sabers and rattled them very loudly until they forced everyone to agree to a magical spell they called a sequester. The sequester spell, they said, would magically compel all the evil, spendthrift politicians who cruelly wanted to pay the bills and stop running up huge debts instead to make drastic cuts in all the wasteful government programs that the obstructionist party was refusing to pay for. The obstructionists believe that everyone was evil who was trying to run the terrible country the obstructionists loved and wanted to dismantle instead of governing, as the foolish citizens had hired them to do. Instead, the obstructionists believed they should be actively working to destroy and overthrow the awful, terrible government that was preventing everyone from being rich and happy. They hoped one day to bring an end to the United States by drowning it in a bathtub to save it. This they called patriotism. Really, no kidding. They still do. Go figure. Anyway... So, when Republicans and Democrats who only wanted to govern could stand the obstructionist saber-rattling no longer, they fell under the spell of the sequester. Then, an amazing thing happened. The obstructionists realized that there would be political consequences to drowning the stuff that people really love about the country in that bathtub. They were afraid that they might lose the jobs they had gone to so much trouble to get working for the federal government they hated so much. Yeah, I don't get that part either. Anyway, what will we do, said the obstructionists? How will we destroy the government the people love without getting blamed for it, or worse, fired? And then a magical plan occurred to them. They would refuse to drown any of the government at all and insist that everyone else take the heat for the destruction they were too craven to carry out, even though it was pretty much all they talked about. 
to bend those who kept asking the obstructionists for suggestions to their will, the obstructionist invented a prophecy. Oh, no! They foretold of a terrible mythical cliff that the whole country would fall off if everyone didn't do what the obstructionists were too chicken shit to do themselves. At the stroke of midnight, on the last day of the year 2012, they warned, if the world hasn't ended on the 21st, you, and by that we mean anyone but us, must have completely wiped out all the debt that we, the obstructionists, have run up, or at 12.01 a.m. January 1st, taxes will rocket up to the levels they were during the greatest sustained economic expansion the country has ever known. Apparently that was a bad thing. <laughs> Worse yet, the evil and unstoppable sequester will take all the candy from all the children in the country, end all the social programs, and disarm the military. The lights will go off and Christmas will be cancelled. If I could do an evil laugh, I'd do one here. Suffice it to say, there'll be a mustache-twirling puppet to do the laugh by the time the traveling company version of this show makes it here and to children's theaters around the country. But the evil voters would not be swayed. They cold-heartedly insisted the obstructionists actually say what they would do to save all this money. They were insisting everyone else cut from the parts of the government that the voters loved. But the obstructionists were nothing if not pig-headed, so they stood their ground and lost and lost and lost. <laughs> Still, they would not decide, and they would not let anyone else decide either. They just kept telling the same story over and over. So as the clock ticked nearer and nearer midnight on that fateful New Year's Eve, everyone had become convinced there really was a cliff and we really were going to fall. This is the part where the media puppets will scream in terror really loudly for a really long time. Kind of like that saber-rattling thing from earlier. Closer and closer the cliff drew, and more and more people believed it was real. Wealth was lost, hiring was postponed, investments weren't made, houses went unsold, and real damage was done to real people. Oh, no! And then, at midnight, at the stroke of twelve... Nothing happened. Instead, they just voted to postpone the deadly sequester for a couple of months. Who knew they could do that, right? Some taxes were raised, rich people got huge breaks on investment income, and the folks who were actually trying to run the government and not destroy it managed once again to do so despite the brave obstructionists' best efforts and fairy stories. To be fair, we're probably going to have to work on the ending when this becomes a puppet show, as children are apparently a much tougher audience than cable news watchers. But there's always a sequel. Have you heard the one about the fall of the deadly debt ceiling? And that's pretty much where we came in. It's like Wagner's Ring Cycle, but longer and less fun. Here's hoping that if we can't get rid of the obstructionist, that they'll at least hire better writers and come up with a better story. Till next time, this is Breck Artery wishing you happily ever afters, good night, and good dinner. Yeah! The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. We'll be the judge of that. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Show Special Edition News Retrospective, Breaking News Repair with Breck Artery. 
I'm your host, Christopher Rice. Eric Shaw Quinn is having a seaweed wrap somewhere on the Italian coast or possibly in Palm Springs. If you've heard the TDPS news, you know our anchor and lead reporter Breck Artery is not a man to suffer fools gladly. So you can imagine what he thinks of the United States Congress. Good evening, this is Breck Artery, and in keeping with the tone set by newsmakers in Washington and elsewhere, I'm just phoning it in tonight. Why should I leave the comfort of my home when the collective voice of the governing body of the richest and most powerful nation in the history of the world lacks the political will to do anything that would actually help? After months of grandstanding, posturing, and saber-rattling in a stunning show of unprecedented gutlessness, the leadership of both parties, unable to agree on anything, have simply chosen to do nothing at all. The blowhards on the right keep insisting that the revenue problem they created is a spending problem, even though they're the ones doing all the spending. And if we had the revenue they threw away to buy votes, there would be no problem to begin with. But rather than risk standing up for what they say they believe in, they keep trying to get the other side to dismantle the very entitlement programs their aging conservative constituency doesn't seem to realize the very representatives they've elected are trying to dismantle. On the flip side, the alleged progressives seem to be aware that we are in the midst of a revenue crisis but are equally unable to end the tax entitlement programs they say they want to end, preferring instead to try to force the other side to take the blame for ending the tax shelters and the arcane congressional rules they say are preventing them from succeeding. So, rather than do anything, both sides pretended that they were unable to do the jobs they were actually elected to do and created a malodorous piece of legislation to do the dirty work for them. Clearly, these maverick firebrand agents to the lip service of change hope that they'll be able to blame the opposition for their gutless unwillingness to stand up for the very things they were campaigning on just a few short weeks ago. The left risks nothing by deferring the decision on the question of revenue. The right keeps the completely incompetent wingnut fringe of their party in check long enough for attrition, scandal, and the dawning realization of the electorate to pick the lunatics off in upcoming elections like candied cherries off the proverbial fruitcake. And we take it in the neck once again as the politicians we've elected prove they are all too busy running for office to run the country. I think the most important aspect of this story is... Oh, speaking of important, I've got to take this call. Until next time, this is Breck Artery saying good night and good dinner. And I've got to go. Back to Chris and Eric and the Dinner Party Show. Breck's reporting on congressional inaction and its consequences is like a keening fishwife with an abusive husband. You don't quite know who to feel worse for. This is Breck Artery, live from the scene of an historic moment in our nation's history, the U.S. Capitol Building. Here, after working only about a third of the days we pay them the $174,000 to work, the U.S. House of Representatives have set a record for doing less than any other Congress in the brief history of our great nation. Who knows how brief that history will be if we continue to fall for the chicanery of the scoundrels who pass themselves off at election time as something other than the self-serving con artists we keep sending to Washington, deceived by the promises they've made to us and never intended to keep. Will Rogers once asked if the opposite of progress is Congress. 
I suppose the answer today would have to be, it depends on which way you're headed. If it's to hell in a handbasket, then these habitues of the public grift are roaring right along. It's not that they worked so few days or passed so few bills or done so little when they bothered to show up at all that is the real crisis here. The real tragedy of this historic, if dubious, accomplishment is that the lack of progress on our behalf is intentional. The majority leadership in the House of Representatives has chosen to do nothing to help us during a time of war, during a time of staggering hardship and unemployment, during the rise of robber barons unprecedented in our history, during epic debt in the face of dwindling revenue sources. During it all, the leadership in the 113th Congress has chosen to do less than any other Congress in history to further their own political ends. It's not good for us. It's not good for the country, it's only good for their political careers. Or so they think, cause that's only true if we keep falling for this con game. It's one thing to get elected saying that you believe in small government and cutting spending. It's another entirely not to do one single thing to accomplish either of those goals since taking your oath. Here's hoping that next fall, when the polls reopen, we the people remember what they promised to do the last time and what they didn't do when they had the chance. Cause as bad as they are, we elected them. Until next year, this is Brett Gardery wishing everyone a better memory, good night, and good dinner. In his own fair and unbalanced way, Breck is as willing to acknowledge Congress's achievements as well as its failures, no matter how dubious. But woe betide state, federal, or local government should Breck find them shirking their duty to the people they are paid to serve. Good evening, this is Breck Artery coming to you live from outside the United Nations General Assembly building on the island of Manhattan. Recently, this fractured organization came together in an unprecedented show of worldwide unity to affirm an international arms trade treaty. The agreement, which is designed to limit the sale of arms to legitimate nation-state clients and keep weapons out of the hands of terrorist organizations, passed with only three votes against from the UN General Assembly, which historically cannot agree on much of anything. The only opposition to this treaty came from rogue states, Iran, North Korea, and Syria, for various reasons, most of them contradictory to the actual intent and language of the treaty itself. In a show of solidarity with these nation sponsors and defenders of terrorism and genocide, the NRA and their apparently wholly owned subsidiary, the U.S. Senate, arbitrarily denounced this anti-terrorism treaty the United States actually voted in favor of at the U.N. The Senate is currently being held hostage by a combination of a tiny anarchist minority, arcane and useless rules that aren't actually being enforced, except by those radical anarchists to terrorize and obstruct normal governance, and the massive gutlessness required to avoid doing anything to revise and repeal the rules being used to hijack this once august body as effectively as a dirty bomb in the cloakroom. The NRA instructed their anarchist partner puppets in the Senate to lie and say that the treaty infringes our Second Amendment rights even though it only addresses international and not domestic arms trade. It is like opposing a treaty about transoceanic shipping on the grounds that it will obstruct the railroad. The Senate, increasingly a mere tool of this tiny, non-representative anarchist group, is being used to facilitate the plutocratic takeover and upward redistribution of wealth in this country. 
Demonstrating a complete loss of contact with reality and a slavish devotion to their radical agenda, this group recently refused to endorse a UN treaty that merely affirmed what is already law in the United States. On our behalf, and as a signal to the world, the U.S. Senate refused to support the rights of the disabled. If, in fact, it is not the policy of the United States to negotiate with terrorists in a hostage situation, one wonders why the executive branch and the legitimate progressive and conservative politicians in Congress continue this dance of appeasement with the self-proclaimed enemies of the state at our own national peril, or at the very least the risk of being drowned in a bathtub. Until next time, this is Breck Artery wishing you good night and good dinner. Breck takes his job seriously. But be warned, Breck takes everyone else's job seriously too. Many is the clerk or waitress brought to task and to tears for bad service. It's not that Breck is one to shout or bully, but he just tells the truth until the tears come. This report surely had the majority party in the house dabbing at their eyes. This is Breck Artery, live from Lima, Ohio, home state of Speaker of the House of Representatives John Boehner. Behind me, on this manicured industrial campus, billions in your tax dollars are at work building tanks that the Army says they do not want or need. Despite the insistence of the people who actually use tanks, members of the majority party in Congress insist that it's cheaper to keep manufacturing the unwanted tanks than it is to shutter the plant until the demand for tanks rises to meet the supply. With thousands of tanks already in service and thousands more sitting in massive Army Depot tank parking lots around the country, not to mention no credible threat that would necessitate massive tank deployment in defense of our country, it is unclear when or where tank demand on the current scale might be coming from. Still, some in Congress claim that cutting military expenses would reduce our military readiness. If, in fact, we were attacked by the combined forces of China, the United Kingdom, France, Russia, Japan, Saudi Arabia, Germany, India, Italy, Brazil, South Korea, Australia, Canada, Turkey, United Arab Emirates, Spain, and Israel, spending-wise, we would still be in the lead. And most, if not all of those countries, are our allies. Since the only costs involved in the last attack on this country were for box cutters, airline tickets, and flying lessons, perhaps we could spend less money and less time pissing people off in the first place. If the majority in Congress is in fact worried about the potential jobs lost from military plants and facilities closing and downsizing the military, something their record in the years following the Great Recession does not support, they might want to consider spending to bring the rest of the country into the same century as the equipment in the military's storage facilities. Within a few miles of where I'm standing are hundreds of the estimated 150,000 bridges nationwide that the NTSB deems structurally deficient. While the American Association of Highway Safety Officials assures us that these bridges are safe, it's worth noting that the I-35 bridge in Minneapolis, prior to its fatal collapse into the Mississippi River during rush hour traffic, was also classified as structurally deficient. Perhaps our greatest protection from being involved in a fatal bridge collapse is the fact that roads are too poor to get us there in the first place. Degraded and inadequate, our aging highways are our primary form of transportation, a fact unforeseen by the designers who built them many, many years ago. 
today, just the top 10 busiest freeway interchanges caused nearly 1.5 million hours of delays to freight alone, not to mention how much it cost the rest of us. Nearly 5,000 of our dams are rated as deficient. Our mass transportation system is virtually non-existent, and what we have is inadequate and aging. Public schools are falling down over our children's increasingly illiterate heads. Our drinking water comes to us through pipes installed during the 19th century. And our electrical grid is so pathetic we can't manage to keep the lights on for the duration of the entire Super Bowl. Yet, we have not slowed tank production since World War II ended and those in Congress can't think of anything for the American worker to do other than not have health insurance, reproductive rights, or work for a defense contractor. If we spent as much each year on education as we do on the military, perhaps we'd have condos on the moon, flying cars, and cold water fusion power plants. Perhaps the real deficit this country faces is one of imagination, or at the very least, leadership. Till next time, this is Breck Artery wishing you good night and good dinner. Tired of dining alone? Enjoy the dinner party show with friends. Like us on Facebook and become one of our party people. Then, during our live shows on Sundays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, you can join the conversation and post questions for Christopher, Eric, and their guests. During the week, drop in for tasty side dishes, show updates, and fun with the other party people. The Dinner Party Show. You are the life of our party. The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. Sacred Cows Roasted Daily. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Show Special Edition, Breaking News Repair with Breck Artery. I'm your host, Christopher Rice. My co-host Eric Shaw Quinn is away sipping cucumber water as tiny carp nibble the dead skin off his feet as part of his exhaustive upcoming spa report. Eric takes his vacations even more seriously than his actual job, whatever that might be. Our TDPS news director, Breck Artery, takes his job as a reporter seriously, as well as pretty much everything else. But while he takes his responsibility to report the news as a sacred duty, there is nothing Breck holds in higher regard than the First Amendment and the free speech that makes his job possible. Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm your host, Breck Artery, live with my guest, Bob White, from Weird Science Magazine. That's Wired Science Weekly. Who cares, Bob? And Nelson Black from the Daily Journal. <laughs> Welcome to you both. And I notice at the outset that neither of you work on the internet. Well, Breck, as usual, your snide and flippant news-style coverage misses the obvious point in favor of the soundbite. In fact, both of our publications have substantial web presences in addition to our more traditional paper and ink editions. Nelson? <laughs> I couldn't agree more, Nelson. Further, the sham version of news coverage offered here on TDPS is a disgrace to your career, Breck, and a disservice to a much-maligned and underappreciated industry. Wrong as usual, Bob, and more dim-witted than your typical inept reporting. WikiLeaks? Anyone? Nelson? 
I know, Nelson, but Bob is sadly a last-minute fill-in for a real journalist who had to cover actual news. Well, you are both off-topic, but at your ages, it isn't unusual for the mind to begin to wander. I hope neither of you drove tonight. WikiLeaks, which is the topic, provides a valuable link for non-traditional newsmakers to the media and the public. It was a trick question, Bob. WikiLeaks is actually what is wrong with internet news reporting and has more in common with a file storage and transfer service than news reporting. Maybe you'd know that if you had any qualifications for your alleged job as a journalist other than typing. <laughs> oh, Nelson, that kind of wit and insight is what earned you the Pulitzer. I just thought he had enough Subway frequent diner rewards points. Stop being such a suck-up, Bob. Up yours, Brack. Finally tonight, the AP versus the Department of Justice. Who's right? <laughs> You're both wrong. It's the AP, two falls out of three. No one from the media is going to report in favor of the DOJ, and this case will be tried in the court of public opinion where it counts, not by some judge whose verdict will never be reported unless it favors the AP. What about national security, Nat Brain? You think that a country who doesn't even think reporters should be paid for their work will pick the AP over some government employee leaking top-secret information and endangering an undercover agent while weakening national security? Only Congress is more hated than those two groups. Red herring, Breck. You always skip right past the facts if they don't support your personal news narrative. Clearly, AP was doing their job. The public has a right to know. So, Bob, you don't think Scooter Libby, a.k.a. Dick Cheney, should have been held to a Count for outing Valerie Plain? No, of course. I, I, it isn't the same. It's not the same. <laughs> I couldn't have said it better myself. Nelson Black, editorial director, the journal, thanks for being here. <laughs> Bob White, Weird Science Magazine, better luck next time. Thanks, Breck. One last thought, it's wired science. Still don't give a shit. Thanks for joining us for this live edition of Newsmakers. Until next time, this is Breck Artery wishing you good night and good dinner. Breck is a staunch defender of free speech. It is a right he guards jealously against those who would abuse it. Breck has always been clear in his defense of the right of free speech and all that right entails, but he is just as clear as an insurance adjuster about what isn't covered. This is Breck Artery, live from our nation's capital because I was going to be in town anyway for another reason, so we figured, what the hell. Tonight, free speech in America. After years of being a country where people are free to say pretty much whatever they want to, we suddenly seem to be confused about what that means. While the only exception that this reporter has ever heard of for the right to free speech is screaming fire in a crowded theater, when was the last time you heard of someone being prosecuted for that? Recently, though, free speech has become subject to the Prejean exception. Named for Carrie Prejean, moron and beauty pageant contestant. And no, after some debate in the newsroom, we decided that was not necessarily redundant based on the Vanessa Williams corollary. 
As you recall, Miss Prejean is the dipshit who thought it would be a good idea to espouse her personal prejudice against a group of Americans whose right to marry she felt was any of her business while she was attempting to answer a question posed to her during the final round of a process that requires only that you look good while not falling down. It was, of course, Miss Prejean's right to stand up for her hateful and indefensible beliefs. When, however, her hate speech cost Prejean not only the pageant crown, but also her reputation and career potential, she became enraged and began accusing others of not allowing her her right to free speech, even though no one attempted to stop her from making a further fool of herself by doing so. No, Miss Prejean became the namesake of what we at TDPS News call the Prejean exception because she was upset that other people also had the right to free speech and as such felt free to comment on what a bigoted moron she was. At the time, Prejean seemed an exception, but has instead become a trendsetter by being, if not the first, one of the most noteworthy pinheads to become angry when other people assert their rights to free speech. Marco Rubio got upset when his assertion that other people should not enjoy the same rights he himself enjoys was identified as bigoted by others. Others. Rubio then made matters worse for himself by asserting that his expressed desire to take rights away from other Americans was not bigoted, even though it was more or less the definition of bigotry, which is slavish devotion to one's own views and beliefs and the intolerant treatment of a group or minority. Rachel Maddow went ballistic over the Justice Department's investigation of journalists' involvement in the leaking of government documents, claiming it was an official attempt to quash free speech and free press. Then later, in the same report, Maddow decried the leaking of government tax records to journalists as conservative media overreach. Glenn Greenwald, the journalist who publicly facilitated the leaking of stolen top-secret documents by a wanted criminal, was outraged when asked a question he didn't like by another journalist. The city of Boston went apeshit recently when the photo of a criminal monster that had appeared on Facebook and the New York Times also appeared on the cover of Rolling Stone magazine, proving at least that more people in Boston read Rolling Stone magazine than the New York Times. To their credit, Rolling Stone does not appear to have questioned Boston's totally God-given right to go apeshit over the photo being used on the cover of their magazine. But you get the point. The problem with the issue of free speech is that it rarely comes up surrounding something that we want to hear. No one has problems with someone else's right to tell us that we look great this morning. However, hearing the truth, or simply something we don't agree with, is often a lot harder to take. Larry Flint, for instance, did not wind up in court over legal questions of free speech concerning his colorful travel descriptions. Perhaps the best rule of thumb when it comes to questioning someone else's right to free speech is simply to shut the fuck up. That's what we here at the Dinner Party Show News like to call the artery bypass. Until next time, this is Breck Artery wishing you equal rights, good night, and good dinner. The Dinner Party Show with Christopher Rice and Eric Shaw Quinn. If you don't have anything nice to say, you'll feel right at home. Welcome back to the Dinner Party Show Special Edition. Breaking news repair with Breck Artery. I'm your host, Christopher Rice. Tonight we've taken a look at Breck's thorough and insightful reporting of the news of the day. 
But nowhere does Breck shine brighter than in his hard-hitting and confrontational interviews with newsmakers. We conclude tonight with what I think may be an example of Breck at his best. This is Breck Artery, coming to you live from the TDPS newsroom here at the Dinner Party Show studios on Sunset Boulevard in West Hollywood. Tonight, we have an exclusive interview with the name in everyone's hearts and on everyone's lips on this most sacred of holidays. No, not him. Ladies and gentlemen, and party people all across the diversity spectrum, I give you Peter Cottontail, the Easter Bunny. How are you, Peter? I'm fucking exhausted. Oh, God, sorry. Can I say that here? <laughs> Looks like you just did. Sorry, dude. It's a big day, you know. And no, no matter how much training you do, it's still a tough gig. Lots of little children to make happy, lots of eggs, so fucking many eggs, and you can't lay them all in advance, you know. <laughs> you lay the eggs? Yeah, and eggs go bad, you know. I have to lay all the eggs for all the children around the world in just one month's time. So if these eggs hatched, would there be little rabbits inside? Oh, Breck, common misconception, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> nice one. They're chicken eggs. But you're a rabbit. How do you lay chicken eggs? Well, it's the miracle of Easter, Breck. Really? I thought there was a different miracle being celebrated here. It's a season of miracles, Breck. I see. And the egg colors? Another miracle. Though I do yeah. have to eat a lot of brightly colored foods throughout the year in Peter, order Peter, can to... we cut the charade? I don't know what your... Isn't it true that Easter has been owned and run by an Eastern syndicate for years? Those charges have never been proved. Is this the kind of gotcha journalism that you've been reduced to on this cockamamie show here? We have documented proof that the whole laying colored egg scam you've been running for years is nothing but a sham perpetrated by you and the International Egg Board on unsuspecting children around the world. Lies! All unproven lies! In fact, what do eggs and bunny rabbits have to do with Easter to begin with? Isn't this just yet another case of yet another sacred religious holiday being co-opted by soulless business interests far more concerned with profits than any spiritual considerations. This is about the children, goddammit! What about the children? Don't bring the children into this! Here is a recording we obtained of you speaking to chocolate bunny speculators about trying to corner the market and fix prices on the must-have items of the season. Roll the tape, Brandon. So, uh, Peter, we got a deal? We'll flood the market with cheap, unimported chocolate with counterfeit Swiss and Belgium labels. Yeah, you keep me in carrots and clover, and you can wrap turds in gold foil for all I care. I'll have the little bastards begging for more. They want what I tell them to want. You sure you can pull this off? Are you kidding? I got people high on sugar and hiding eggs in the bushes to celebrate a holiday about surviving capital punishment and escaping from Egypt. I got this, or my name's not Peter J. Cottontail. So, Mr. Cottontail, what do you have to say to these damning revelations? All right, okay, I'll come clean, Breck. I've been wanting to do this for a long time, and as you lay this all out, I can see the harm that I'm doing. What are you saying, Peter? I'm saying... What I am saying is... The fact is, Breck, I have a serious problem with artificial food coloring. What? It's true. I started taking it at first primarily just to improve egg color. Ugh. A little yellow here, some blue there, red dye number three, five, and some seven. 
But before long, I was looking for more and more exotic hues, brighter and brighter colors. And then I was dying for the stuff all year round, not just at the holidays. What do you say to people who would say that this is just another of your Easter scams, Peter? I would say that I'm going to be entering a Malibu rehab hutch as a first step toward getting off the performance-enhancing dyes and getting back to the true meaning of Easter. Which is what, exactly? It's about the children, Brock! The children! What are you talking about? I'm talking about a pandemic! Look around you! Artificial food coloring is everywhere! Look at what's happened in the Peeps community! Those little motherfuckers practically glow in the dark! I'm speaking out because if sharing my struggle can help one child to say no to caramel coloring, then it will have been worth it. I am appalled by your shameless performance here today. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Yes, yes I am. Well, all I can say is bad rabbit. Very bad rabbit. Until next time, this is Breck Artery wishing you good night and good dinner. That ought to hold the little bastards till next year. The uh, mic is still on, Peter. This is bullshit, Breck. I came in here good faith for this holiday puff piece and you ambushed me with this shit! It's a news interview, Peter. Fuck you, Breck! Fuck you! Hippity hop, little rabbit. And where do you get off calling me bad rabbit, huh? Where the fuck do you get off? Oh, that's fine. Coming from you? It's all about the children? Where do you fucking get off? Fuck you, fucker! Happy bunny trails to you, you frog. And that is why we at the Dinner Party Show and Breck Arteries fans everywhere say that when news breaks, Breck is the man to fix it. Thanks for joining us tonight. Be here next week for the Dinner Party Show's Summer Book Festival. Till next time, I'm Christopher Rice, and on behalf of me and my co-host Eric Shaw Quinn, thanks for stopping by.